Today we are beginning a new sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We'll spend the next nine weeks reading through this letter, and that might sound like a lot of time to spend on one letter, especially a relatively short one like Ephesians, but this is such a profound book that I promise you there is plenty to talk about. Ephesians has been a beloved book throughout history. John Calvin said that it was in fact his favorite book of the Bible. The poet Samuel Coleridge called it the divinest composition of man. This letter contains a glorious message about faith and community, and over the next nine weeks, we're going to explore that message in some depth, but we're not going to start today with that message. Today, we're going to start with the messenger, because here's the thing. If you don't trust the person delivering this message, you'll never pay attention to what he says. And that means before we get to the content of this book, we have to establish a level of trust with its author. Do you trust the Apostle Paul? Do you know anything about the Apostle Paul? If you do, do you think that he knew what he was talking about? And of course, that's not an academic question because here in church, what we ask you to do is to allow God's word to literally Dictate the decisions you make with your life. Can you trust that Paul's words are not only true, but are worth giving your life to? So what I'd like to do today is to tell you about the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, and some reasons why you may decide to trust that he knows what he's talking about. Our reading today is exceptionally short. Just 11 words. Don't blink or you'll miss it. These are the first 11 words in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word And give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So again, our reading is a mere 11 words, and yet in this short sentence there are no less than three distinct ideas. Let me just read this again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So we have number one, Paul. Number two, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And number three, by the will of God. Let's take them in order. Number one, Paul. This letter begins by simply stating the name Paul. Of course, Paul didn't need to say more because the Ephesians already knew him pretty well. Paul had founded the church in Ephesus, and he spent over two years living there, getting to know the people of this church, ministering to its members and all of their needs. They knew his background, and this is why they trusted him. But of course, you may not know much about Paul, so I'd like to give you a little bit of context. The most important thing to know about Paul is that he began as an enemy of the church. He went from persecuting the church to being its greatest cheerleader, and it's really impossible to overstate what an enormous change this was. He literally went from one extreme to the other. Why did he do that? It all comes down to one experience. Paul had a vision of Christ that changed everything. He was on his way to Damascus in order to put Christians into prison when Christ came to him in a vision. 
Paul fell to the ground overwhelmed, he suddenly understood that Jesus really was the Messiah. And he knew then that in the only way to live an honest life was to take all of the energy that he, that he had been using to fight the church and to channel it into building up the church. So here's my point. Paul was literally the last person on earth that you would have expected to become a Christian. And this, I would suggest to you, is a reason he's trustworthy. Why? Because the most trustworthy people are converts. People who deeply inhabit one worldview and then convert to another because those are the only people who truly understand both sides of an issue. Let me give you some examples. Czesław Milos was a Polish writer who won the Nobel Prize for Literature. His most famous book was called The Captive Mind, which is a book about the horrors of communism. The reason why this book is trustworthy is because Milos was a communist. He was a convinced believer in communism. He was a zealous defender of it until he began to actually see what it did to people. And then he took all of the energy that he had been using to defend communism and he channeled it into exposing communism. That, I would suggest, makes him a trustworthy source. Who knows more about communism than the people who were actually inside of it? Whom would you trust more, a Western journalist writing from the outside or someone who had grown up within the system? Here's another example. I trust what Antony Flew said about atheism. Antony Flew was one of the world's most passionate atheists. He was a brilliant English philosopher who wrote books that mocked religious belief. He argued passionately for atheism. But late in his life, something rather unexpected happened. He began to study evolution. And he found that his atheism could not account for the complexity of biological life. Although it was the last thing he wanted, he began to be convinced that life had been designed by a creator. Here's my point. What makes these men trustworthy is that they didn't want to change their views. They did not want to admit that they were wrong. The only reason they did it is because they had the integrity to follow the evidence wherever it led. That takes courage, and it means they were not writing propaganda. They were speaking the truth. And that's the first reason why I would suggest that you can trust Paul. Paul didn't want to be Christian. He tried to erase the church from history, and therefore, if he converted, it can really only mean one thing. Christ really did come to him in a vision. Now, of course, you can argue about that vision. You can say, I, I don't know, maybe it was a hallucina hallucination. But you can't say it didn't happen. And you also can't say that it was wish fulfillment because Paul didn't want it to happen. He hated the church. For him to change so dramatically suggests that this vision was real. And if you do think that this was merely a hallucination, then you have to explain what happened next. Because Paul spent the rest of his life suffering on the basis of this vision. In fact, this very letter that we're going to be looking at over the next two months was written from prison. Paul had been imprisoned 
for spreading the gospel. In fact, he was often in prison. In fact, his life after his conversion was basically an unending trial. Everywhere he went, he faced people who were like he used to be, people persecuting the church. Isn't that ironic? Paul was in prison numerous times. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked and almost died at sea. Eventually, he was arrested and executed. Not a great life, you might say, going from a position of power to a place of suffering. And yet, Paul would later say this, whatever gain I had in my previous life, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you trust a man who says that? I mean, I think you have to admit that Paul is not seeking personal gain. And I think that makes him trustworthy. But let's get past just the first word in this first opening sentence. Here's here's what Paul says next. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul calls himself an apostle. But was he an apostle? Things get a little tricky here. You see, Paul was not one of the original apostles, the the original 12. In fact, Paul never even met Jesus before his death. He was not at the Last Supper. He was not in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not watch Jesus arrested. He did not uh, see Jesus come to the disciples in the upper room after the resurrection. Paul was also quite culturally different from the original 12 disciples. They were poor fishermen from Galilee. Paul was a highly educated, Greek-speaking, very sophisticated Roman citizen, and this caused quite a bit of controversy. Put yourself in the shoes of one of the original apostles. Here's this man who is culturally very different from you, so already there's distrust. But then there's this little issue of the fact that he's been killing and imprisoning your people. I mean, imagine you're in the Ukrainian army and you hear that Vladimir Putin has changed his mind and wants to join the Ukrainian resistance against Russia. I think you would need a moment to digest that, wouldn't you? At one point in the book of Acts, Paul stands up to preach about Jesus and this is what we read. All who heard him were astonished and they asked themselves, Isn't that the man who has been destroying us and putting our people into prison? So here again, we come to the issue of trust. Can we trust Paul? For Paul to call himself an apostle was a controversial and courageous thing to do. He knew how suspicious people were of him. He knew all of the harm that he had caused. He knew that it wasn't even something that he himself had wanted. So how could he make that claim? On whose authority could he possibly refer to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus? That brings us to the third part of this first sentence. Let's finish that opening sentence. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And there it is. The only reason Paul can call himself an apostle is because it is the will of God. God was the one who chose Paul for a special mission that only Paul could do. And I think this is important for us to understand because if you get this, it can change your life. Here's the point. God works through deeply flawed people. I want to say that again. God works through deeply flawed people. 
He's not waiting around for people to attain perfection because they never will. God shows someone in Paul who had done real harm to people. He had been terrorizing these families, forcing himself into their homes, binding people, dragging them into prison. In at least one case, in the case of Stephen, we know that he participated in murder. Paul was not a good person. And yet God chose him to spread the gospel. I think this is the truth that this story shows us. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. These people that we read about in Scripture, these were real people. This is not fiction. I want you to imagine for a minute what it was really like when Paul helped stone Stephen to death. Again, this really happened in history. Imagine the sounds, the sights, the sound of stones hitting the body. Did did you think Stephen cried out? Do you think he fought back? Was there blood? There must have been blood. Imagine how this would affect your conscience. Could you feel good about yourself after you had done something like that? I mean, what about forcing yourself into someone's home? Can you imagine the cries of the terrified children as they watched you beat their parents and drag them to the authorities to be tried and possibly executed for heresy? And yet, Paul, more than any other person in history, is responsible for the spread of the Christian faith. How do you square that? I mean, let's imagine what happened. God wanted to reach the world with the gospel. It's very clear that Jesus' death and resurrection was a universal event for all people. So God wanted all people to hear the gospel, but how was God going to do this? The first 12 apostles were not up to the task. Again, they were poor fishermen from Galilee. They were not well-educated. They didn't speak Greek very well. They didn't have any idea how to relate to the Gentile world. And as evidence, we know that they all stayed in Jerusalem, and their churches were very small, and they were 100% Jewish. They were not going to spread the gospel to the the world. But Paul... Paul was perfect. Paul spoke Greek as a first language. He had studied philosophy. He came from a family of tent makers in the Roman city of Tarsus, meaning he had been doing business with Gentiles his entire life. He understood them. He understood how they thought and what they wanted, and also as a devout Jew who had studied under the great Rabbi Gamaliel. Paul had a profound understanding of the Jewish scriptures and why Jesus was a fulfillment of those scriptures. You see, there was simply no one better to carry the gospel out into the world than this flawed man who had done terrible things. So here's what I would like for you to hear this morning. There is nothing that you have done that prevents God from working in your life because every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. You may look at someone and think that they are so saintly that they could never understand your struggles. I think that you would be shocked at what people have been through. In this very room are stories that if you knew them, you would never feel alone in your struggles. And yet so many of us hide because we don't think we're worthy of God's blessings. 
Well, let me put this myth to rest right now. Here's some honesty. You're not worthy. But guess what? Nobody is. There's only been one perfect man, and we put him on a cross. All the rest of us are sinners, and yet God uses flawed people every single day. If he didn't use flawed people, he couldn't do anything, because that's the only kind of person there is. And the truth is that your flaws do not prevent God from loving you. Jesus said that God literally knows every single hair on your head. Think about that. Every hair on your head, every atom in your body, God knows it and loves it. He created you exactly as you are. Does that mean you're morally good? No. You're not morally good. Neither am I. We all fall short in the eyes of God. That's, after all, why Christ went to the cross. If we were all good people, do you know what that means? It means Jesus died in vain because we didn't need him to. I mean, we're good. So the answer is not to try to convince yourself that actually you are a good person. You're not a good person. The answer is not to try to boost your self-esteem. I mean, ironically, that might actually get in the way of understanding the gospel because you might start to think that you don't need it. The Christian response to poor self-esteem has always been this. God loves you anyway. You'll never be morally good, and yet God wants to enter into a relationship with you anyway. You are self-serving and prideful. You are quick to anger. You are quick to judgment. You seek your own comfort first. You fail to serve your neighbors. You fail to be generous. You fail to forgive, and yet Jesus gave his life for you. If you were the only person on earth, he would still have gone to the cross to save just you. That's how much he loves you. Of course, some people might say, no, 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 you don't understand what I've done. My sins are unique. I am uniquely flawed. God can't forgive me. Okay. I mean, Paul murdered Stephen. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Jacob was a liar and a thief. David raped a woman and murdered her husband to try to cover it up. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah ran away from God. Peter denied Christ three times after promising him that he would never deny him. Not only does God forgive these people, but he uses them to bless the world. How is that possible, you might ask? How can God take really bad stuff and transform it into healing? Well, just look at Paul. A few minutes ago, we heard Paul saying that he counts all things as loss next to what Christ has given him. Well, here's how he continues that sentence. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now hear this part. Not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Paul is saying it very clearly. I am not a good man. I have no righteousness of my own. It's just not there. No amount of therapy will be able to make me good. I try to be selfless, but I just can't do it. The only righteousness I will ever know comes not from me, but from Christ. So I ask you again, who is a better person to take the gospel out to the Gentiles? A man who says he's perfect or a man who has been humbled by the power of the cross 
to save? Who really understands what the gospel means? You see, I think God knew exactly what he was doing when he chose Saul of Tarsus to be a light to the world. It's not just the message that you can trust, it's also the messenger. And so what I hope happens is that in the coming eight weeks, as you do hear Paul's message, that we can begin that series from a position of trust. Here is a messenger who truly comes from God. Let's end in prayer. Holy God, your love and your goodness is what saves us. Empower us to know that in our weakness, you are strong. In our failings, you are good. Open our minds and our hearts to sing your praise. Amen.